It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Weekend Warrior. Every Saturday morning from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. On ESPN LA 710. Dedicated to you, the fan who works hard all week and slugs it out on the court. The field, the big box store, and the honey-do list all weekend long. And helping you cope as you come to the realization you're not 19 any longer. Here's board-certified orthopedic surgeon Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 33 years. Wow, what a day I had in surgery yesterday. Wednesday. I'm still hearing the music in my ear. There we go. Big days. Five hip and knee replacements. And I got to tell you about them because fascinating. One of the surgeries I did on Wednesday, the man previously in a motorcycle accident broke his thigh bone, his femur, many years ago, put a rod in, which healed the fracture, but the the alignment of your car is off. You're going to wear out your tires faster. The alignment of the thigh bone femur, ultimately, even though the bone healed, wore out his knee joint too fast. No more cartilage. The problem for me is I need a normal thigh bone canal, marrow, to use the tools I use to get the perfect position for the implant that I'm going to put in. But there's a rod inside his femur. So I did something that is just remarkable. I made him get a CAT scan, which in the CAT scan, virtually in the computer, built an exact replica of his femur. I do this in big basketball players that I take care of who are seven feet tall, where we don't have off-the-shelf an implant for them, and I do it in people like Tony Cox, who was the elf in Bad Santa, who's four feet something. So when you have patients that don't have anatomy that is typical, this is something I've done, which, by the way, I've done with the La Brea tar pits in figuring out the hip damage in the saber-toothed tiger from 20,000 years ago. But I use this technology of a cat skin to build the femur, and then build a jig. Oh, my father, the carpenter, would be so proud of me. Essentially, I built a a plastic cutter device built specifically for that patient so that when I open his knee up, boom, I put that jig on the end of his femur, and I just follow the dotted line and make the cut where the computer says is perfect. It's amazing technology. It gave me such a beautiful, warm, fuzzy feeling to be able to do that. And one of the cases yesterday was also I'd love to talk about 
which if we have time later in the show, I will. Someone who was in an accident and broke their shin bone, their tibia, plates and screws, the whole bit, but also wore out the joint. And what are the different challenges that I have as a surgeon when I've had old fractures and old hardware put in the bone? And these are all terrific topics because my guest at 815 is a world-renowned orthopedic surgeon who deals with the same kinds of challenges that I'm talking about. And I just can't wait for Michelangelo, me, to talk to Leonardo da Vinci, Dr. Eric Zegan. And you'll get to sit in on this conversation. And don't worry, you'll understand everything we're going to talk about. It won't be too technical, two doctors talking to each other, because you and I have something special. Clapper vision. I never will let the guest get too out of line, too complicated, because I will remind them that, hey, this is like a cherry tomato with a stem on top. You know, you'll be able to visualize everything that I'm talking about. So when I knew Dr. Zegan was going to be my guest this week, just like every week for 12 years, I asked him, tell me a little bit about yourself, and particularly as a busy surgeon, what? What's your hobby? What do you do outside of the operating room? You know, I'm a surfer. I'm a sculptor in marble. You know all the fun stuff after 12 years of listening to the show. What I love to do to keep the yin and the yang balance in my life as an intense surgeon. I also happen to be on the radio, and thank you for listening and telling all your friends. But I asked Dr. Zegan, tell me, what's your hobby? And you know what he told me? Fascinating. In 12 years of doing this show every Saturday, I have never talked about this subject, fly fishing. So I immediately went to YouTube because I don't know the first thing about fly fishing. I know a lot about fishing. I've caught a marlin. I've caught some beautiful dorado and mahi-mahi in Hawaii and some beautiful yellowfin tuna and striped bass and widemouth bass, freshwater. I've done all kinds of fishing, but I've never done fly fishing, which in essence is you whip back and forth the fishing rod with the line, and that ultimately allows the hook, which looks like a mosquito, to land perfectly on the water and fool the fish into thinking a bug landed on the water. The technique is intense. So I went on YouTube. I don't know the first thing about fly fishing. And the first lesson, the teacher, God bless the teachers in our society, he said, listen, and you'll hear the soundbite. Stop it with the rod and the reel. The first thing I wish someone had told me when I started in fly fishing, fly fishing is to just get to the river and appreciate the rhythm of the river. Don't even think about fishing just yet. Just take in the surroundings, that moving, flowing water, what the bank of the river is like, what the shrubbery is like, what the sky and the sun and the clouds. It was amazing just to hear him say that, the rhythm of the river. And that's when it hit me. That's the topic for today's show. Because when I think of rhythm and river and water, I think of this song. Rhythm. Moving water. That's a, that's a storm. Raindrops. 
but it's all about rhythm, rhythm of water. The rhythm of the falling rain. But did you hear the next line in the song? Telling me. Listen to the rhythm of the falling Telling me. And that's when I realized when water is moving, whether it's rain, whether it's the river moving, or for me as a surfer, the ebb and flow of the ocean tide, it's not just like talking into a microphone. It's not like banging on the steering wheel of your car right now. It's not going to talk back to you. It's an inanimate object. It's dead. It's, it's a rock. You're talking to a rock. But actually, movement is life. And what else moves in life? Wind moves, but so does water. And when that happens, it takes on a whole different personality. So I thought about, okay, where else in art is water moving? Is rain happening? And it takes on life. Well, remember this song? That's right. Jim Morrison and the Doors. But what's the name of the song? Riders on the Storm. Yeah. Not riders in a storm. Riders on a storm. Because to Jim Morrison and Ray Manzarek, you're not riding on a horse. Listen to them say it. That's right. Riding on the storm. Doesn't make any sense, except now I understand that song more clearly than I ever have. Because the rain becomes a personality. The lyrics of the Cascades, the one-hit wonder. They didn't have any other hits. But you're going to hear in the next segment, John Gummo, who wrote the song, and how it came about. It will fascinate you, because he's talking about the rhythm of the rain. But where is he writing the song? He's on the battleship on a Navy vessel outside of San Diego. Never wrote a song before, never played music before, never wrote a song before. But he's around a couple of guys who are in a band in the Navy and says, hey, I'd love to be able to do that. And he goes and writes one of the best songs ever written, but it's written about today's topic. So in art, the Cascades, this song about the rhythm of the rain, in sports, fly fishing. And in my world of surgery, all I could think about was, yeah, while I'm operating on someone, yeah, I could look at their skin and look at their muscle. It ain't moving. But that vein and that artery that's carrying the flow of blood, and I hit that vessel, that's when I get reminded there's life. This is a living structure. It's because of the flow of the water, which happens to be red. Crazy topic, for sure. But that's what I want to talk about. Clapper vision? Oh, what a day it was yesterday. 
for orthopedic surgeons all over the world. And the few of us, the rare few, who do an operation called a surface replacement. It's called a Birmingham hip. Not many people do it because it's complicated. And I flew to Canada to learn how to do this operation many years ago. Because Andy Murray is playing in the U.S. Open. I get Serena Williams and she's amazing. And her injuries are fascinating to me over the years. But it's remarkable to watch someone with a hip implant playing this level of tennis. It's just awesome. What is it about young athletes? Isaiah Thomas, the basketball player. Guess what? He's playing basketball with the same hip implant, a Birmingham hip that Andy Murray has. Why do young people need a hip replacement or a hip implant at this age? What happens? I want to do some clap revision about Andy Murray, the warrior, if you will, the professional athlete. But it's no different than you, the weekend warrior. And what about food? Where do I see the rhythm of the rain, the movement of water in the world of food? Well, when I think of that, I think of the sound the ocean makes when it hits the biggest rock in Southern California. And that is Palos Verdes. And there's a fish and chips place that I'm going to tell you about that makes the best fish and chips that I've ever had. And it involves the rhythm of moving water. Because when the ocean hits the beach, that wave cracks, it makes a sound. But when it hits a big rock, the sound it makes is so enticing and particularly when you're putting the greatest bite of fish and chips in your mouth at the same time. Oh, is it delicious. And I'll tell you where that place is. And I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 7710. With Dr. Robert Clapper, board certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedar sinai Health Associates. Girl I care 
doubt has gone away Looking for a brand new start Little does she know that when she left that day Along with her she took my heart Alright, here it comes Rain, please tell me now that does me Did you hear that line? Rain, please tell me now. Listen to the rhythm of falling rain telling me just what a fool I've been. He's written a song that the rain is talking to him. That's when I realized that's what fly fishing is all about. You gotta listen. To the rhythm of the river. Because it's moving. Well, I love to surf. And the moving body of water that I live with is the ocean. And she's called Mother Ocean for a reason. Because she embraces you. She hugs you. It's warm. It's cold. It's moving. And that's the secret. When the water's moving... It becomes a life. So let's listen to the greatest surfer, my good friend. He's been a guest on the show a couple of times, the great Jerry Lopez, who, by the way, came up with the greatest line that you can live your life with. You know what he said? Jerry Lopez said, if you can buy it with money, it's cheap. Think about that. That's what you want in life, the things that you actually can't buy with money. But listen to more from the man himself and see if you can't hear in his own words what I'm talking about, which is that rhythm of life in moving bodies of water, rain, river, or ocean. But I wanted to uh, say something about waves. And waves, they're hard to ride. In the process of learning this demanding and often uncompromising activity we can discover something extremely profound that's right jerry lopez about ourselves for many of us every time we paddle out or come to our mats this may be the only time we breathe the right way you know we were born knowing how to breathe properly but along the way life came along forgot. Jerry Lopez feels that the rhythm of the ocean teaches us as surfers actually how to breathe properly. Okay, something else I got to worry about now? I got to be worried that I'm not breathing properly? Thank you, Jerry Lopez. But he's right. It's animal time. A dolphin that comes up next to me while I'm on my surfboard doesn't have a wristwatch like Everybody else seems to have. Only now you have a phone which has the damn clock on it. No, when I'm in the water, it's animal time. But listen to what he says about breathing, because breathing is life, and how he learns breathing properly from the ocean. You know, that rapid, irregular, shallow mouth breathing takes the place of rhythmic, slow, deep breathing through our nose. And when we breathe correctly and concentrate on our breathing, 
we become aware of an increasing sense of mindfulness. And from this mindfulness, we begin to understand the value of being in the present. How true it is. So there's the ocean movement teaching us, in Jerry Lopez's case, how to breathe properly. It's a living, breathing teacher to him, that movement of water in the ocean. Now, I'm going to take you through what it was like for me to learn a little bit about fly fishing, where once again, there's more than the fishing going on in this sport, which is why Dr. Zegan can relax. It's almost like meditation when you're out there on the river. And it's really not about the fish because the name of the sport is not catching. It's fishing. Think about it. It's the process that becomes the meditation. It's not the act of actually catching the fish. It's the act of trying to catch the fish, which is what's important. So listen carefully to this fly fishing teacher telling you you're doing it all wrong if you're going fishing right away with your hook and line and rod. Take a second to appreciate the rhythm of the river. And we're going to start off with my first tip. This is a very important one. I've got my rod here, but it is not strung up and there's no fly on there. And that's because I really think that's the best way to approach the river. I don't like the idea of having your rod already strung up with a fly in mind before you get to the water. First off, it really kind of pushes you to start fishing right away. And you're not gonna be paying attention to the rhythm of the water, the flows, the kind of water that you're fishing, and what bugs are on there. And I think it's really a good idea to stop relax, take a breath, take in the water, look for rising fish, look for fish in certain holes, and then plan your attack accordingly. It'll reinforce good skills. It'll make you a better angler. He's And a better person because he's teaching you how to be mindful, how to be aware of the surroundings. It's an awesome lesson to learn from the river. Now the next thing I wish I knew before starting fly fishing goes hand in hand with what we just talked about and that's about getting down to the water too quickly. So there's going to be a lot of fish right here next to the bank. They love the structure and the quick drop off and a lot of the times what beginners do is they get right to the water and already where I'm standing now is too close. I've spooked any fish that are here and there will be tons of fish that are waiting just off the bank. Some really nice fish. We've already seen a bunch today. Again. It's exciting, but I love his approach. And you know what? Yesterday, I'm in the operating room. I got a medical student from Philadelphia watching what I'm doing. And I have a young, new, minted orthopedic surgeon just starting out doing his fellowship watching me. And for me, it's, it's you know, 16,000 surgeries later. What I know ain't in the book anymore. Yes, it's very practical. It's, it's the same thing as putting that fishing line in the rod and all the technical aspects of it. But whatever it is that you're doing for a living, whether you're working a computer, being an electrician, a plumber, a carpenter, I don't care what it is, you start to develop a sixth sense that you almost can't explain what you're doing. And that's this rhythm that we're talking about. So it's not about the fly fishing. 
It's about the process. But another thing that I see a lot of people do when they first start, especially when they get waders, is they think, okay, all the good fishing is out there, not here. <laughs> and so they just crash right into the water. And again, this is really bad. I've spooked the fish. I've kicked fish out of the lane. And now the only fish I might have a chance at are ones way out there. In fact, the best approach is to start fishing the bank from well on shore. Make sure you've worked it and then gradually work your way out to the water. So he's trying to teach you to appreciate the rhythm and basically think like a fish, if that's even possible. But he's right. That's the only way you're going to figure out how to catch these things is you're going to need to start thinking like the fish, but be aware of the movement of that river. Now, the next thing I wish I knew before starting fly fishing was just some basic line control. What I mean by line control is this. Fly fishing is a two-handed sport. So if I'm right-handed, casting with my right hand, I'm going to most likely use my left hand for my line management. That means okay. stripping line off the reel to get more distance, more line out on the water, bringing in slack as I'm fishing. And it's very important that you control all of this excess line properly. Now, the first thing we're going to do before we start fishing every session check the drag on your reel. If it's turned off and loose all the way and you pull line, it's gonna overspool and you're gonna get this bird's nest forming here. And that's a real pain. And if you're doing that on your first cast and a fish rises, you don't wanna be messing around with that. So here's what I can't wait to hear, ask Dr. Zegan about, trying to figure out what it is about. I know why I love surfing, but why does he love fly fishing? He's, this teacher's telling you, you better be a two-handed fisherman you got to hold the line in your left hand and hold the rod in your right hand and whip it back and forth. Well, as a surgeon, yeah, you may hold the tools, the scalpel, whatever it is in your right hand if you're a righty. But the reality is, is you got to have the forceps, the pickups, the retractor. You better be a two-handed surgeon and use your left hand to tee up your right hand to be able to do what it needs to do. The whole time I'm listening to this go, this is exactly what I must sound like teaching someone how to do a hip replacement, a knee replacement, a shoulder replacement. Be a two-handed surgeon. This is why I have no clue what time it is. By the way, I have no clue what time it is when I do the radio show. I just keep going. It's great to get out of the clock and just focus and concentrate on what it is that you're doing. Amazing. The other thing I would say is watch your feet. I mean, it's easy to reposition ourselves and take a few steps and you could very easily then be stepping on your fly line. And this is also very bad for your fly line, so be careful. And the biggest bad habit that I personally had to break, once you've stopped at an area and you're gonna move, don't leave all this line hanging out and decide to go for a walk because mm. these loops are gonna catch onto everything, branches, trees, your fly is gonna hook on something. Always reel up your line, take that extra time, and then put your fly away properly before you move to the next session. And finally, this is part of his talk that I really appreciate because this is where he's imagining what it is that will entice the fish to be fooled into biting on his hook. So there was a time in life where exotic birds were being used on the black market from all over the world, raiding the Amazon and all these different rainforests for the exotic birds. You know why? Because these fly fishermen wanted these exotic feathers for their hooks. 
Yeah, that's how they simulate what the mosquito or the bug is going to look like. So listen carefully when he describes presentation. You want the line to land softly on the water like a bug has just landed on the water for the fish to think this is a real bug. He calls it presentation. What you want to do is shoot line, and that means to have some excess line below the reel as slack. So if I'm casting 30 feet, I could have 25 feet of fly line out of the rod tip, and then I could have this extra line below. And when I cast, I simply let the cast go, and the momentum of the fly line takes up that slack. Mm. I get my distance, but more importantly, I get a much better presentation. Mm. If you've got 30 foot cast and I've got 30 feet of fly line and I cast that whole thing with no slack, it's automatically gonna reach the end of the, sh of the cast. There's no more forward momentum to go and there's no slack to give. And so it's gonna all pop back towards you and bring that fly back. You're gonna get a bad puddle and a bad presentation. Presentation, how fascinating this is. This is the difference between someone who's catching fish versus someone who's not. The rhythm of the river, the rhythm, that rhythmic casting, that's what makes it pop. That's what makes it alive. But you want that fly to land softly. Coming up next, where in the world of art do you appreciate that rhythm, rhythm of the rain, rhythm of moving water? We'll get into it with an amazing interview with the man who wrote that song by the Cascades, The Rhythm of the Rain. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 7710. With Dr. Robert Clapper, board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai Health Associates. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. No, it ain't raining. But those are the riders on the storm. Not in the storm, but on the storm. Jim Morrison and the Doors. What a genius idea to use as a sound effect the thunder and the rain itself. It's like having another member in the band playing an instrument, isn't it? What a genius idea. Well, where else in my lifetime have I heard the rain used as a musical instrument? Well, I heard it in this song by the Cascades from 1964. That's right. 
That's a thunderstorm, and here's the pitter-patter of the rain. And the name of the song is the rhythm of But here he says, telling me. The rain is telling me. Who knew rain could talk? How do you even come up with an idea? Who came up with this idea? Recognizing that there's a personality to moving water. Well, his name is John Gummo. And I want you to hear from the man himself how this came about. Truly a one-hit wonder. It was only the second song he ever recorded, never realizing that he would actually change the world forever. But it's not like he started out being a musician, singing songs, writing songs. That's not the case for this man. But he was so inspired by hearing the rain one day, out at sea, in the Navy. It's just like what Billy Joel said. Remember a few weeks ago? Music, he didn't find music. Music found him. That's, that's what I think about when I listen to this interview about a man who really put into words this feeling, today's topic of the rhythm of water. Here he is, John Gummo. So I went to San Diego and I uh, went aboard a ship called the USS Jason. While I was aboard the what, ship... What kind of a ship was it? It was a repair ship, it's an auxiliary repair, AR. It was uh, USS Jason AR-8 is what it was. And uh, they have their own, uh, their own group on, uh, on the internet. But uh, I checked aboard the ship and uh, I immediately found out that there was a shipboard band called the Silver Strands. And they, when we were out at sea, they oftentimes would go to uh, the rear part of the, uh, the poop deck. <laughs> And, uh, and do concerts back there. What year is this? You're not going to believe it. 1959, 1960. We're going way back. And I was always there. I was always a big fan of music, and I always used to sing a lot when I was in high school. Roughly what year are we talking? We're talking 1959, 1960, and uh, we used to rotate. So Eisenhower still president. This is back in the Eisenhower administration. Uh, yeah, I guess he was. He didn't leave office until Kennedy took took office in January of 61. So right. this is back at the end of the Eisenhower era. Right. I used to get together with the drummer in this band, and he and I would sit in the drummer's office with our friend Lenny Green, and uh, Lenny would play guitar for us, and we would sing Everly Brothers songs. So we all like to sing. You could probably be singing right now in, in your car. You're not a childhood star by any means. Well, John Gummo is just like us. He loved to sing but he never thought of it as a profession. It took me a while to get up the courage to go up on stage and sing, but they, they dragged me kicking and screaming. So you weren't a child star then? No, you, no. You, you weren't, many of these performers grew up on stage. You, you were a young man who loved to sing, but never thought of yourself as being on stage. Until, not ever, not ever. Until you yeah. found out how good yeah. you sounded and how good the harmony was. I was 24 years old before I went in the recording mm. studio, and a lot of these dudes that had hits back then were already, you know, they were like, uh, they were 18, sure. 17, 18 years sure. old and having hit records. I was, you know, 24 when I went in the studio. So I was a late bloomer. Can you imagine writing this song and you have no idea how to play an instrument? Yeah, that's John Gummo. But you love the music. Oh, and yeah. what instrument were you personally playing? At the time, I didn't know how to play an instrument. <laughs> and I, I have to say, 
I have been blessed with an intuitive uh, sense of chord structure and chords and harmony. And, and so they, after I sang on stage with them for a while, they said to me, why don't you learn to play something and become, like a, become part of the band? I use the keyboard to write with. It's my, my tool of choice for, for composing. However, I'm not really good enough to perform, on stage. to perform on stage. I remember when Ed Bradley interviewed Bob Dylan. He said to him, how did you write Blowing in the Wind? How did you write all these amazing songs? Bob Dylan said, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You wrote some of the greatest songs ever written. He goes, I don't know. They just came through me. That's what Bob Dylan said. They just came through me from up above. That's what happened in this song to a guy who doesn't play an instrument, who didn't grow up making music, singing music. He's 24 years old, but he is the secret. He's number one out on the ocean, which is moving water. And on top of that, it starts to rain. It's like someone tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, buddy, I got a song for you. You're on board the Jason, the AR-8. Yes. You're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's raining. Mm-hmm. And, and the ship is tossing. Right. And the waves are coming over the side of the ship. And, and you're thinking to yourself, boy, I can't wait to get home. Or no, you're thinking of something about the rhythm. Yeah. You're feeling the rhythm, the pulse. That's where it started. I was standing amid watch up on the, on the, uh, the deck, of the top deck of the ship. And uh, I had this idea in my mind. Well, first of all, my friend Lenny Green, who is a, a very good composer, he would play me some of his stuff. And I used to say, I used to think to myself, I think I can do that. Yeah. I went to see the David and I looked at this sculpture that millions and millions of people have seen. I'm the only Schmendrick who looks at the David made by Michelangelo and says to himself, I think I can do that. Yeah, yours truly. Now I go to Italy, get the marble blocks that Michelangelo used, and I try to do exactly what he did, which is insane. But why not? Why not? My mother used to say, Robbie, say yes to everything in life. Don't worry. The world will tell you no enough. Say yes to everything. Why not? Why not me? That's what you need to say to yourself. That's what John Gummo is teaching us. I don't play an instrument. I've never written a song. And I'm out here in the middle of the ocean and it's raining. Somebody's talking to me. I'm going to make it into a song. And I, it, it just never occurred to me how I would even start. But uh, I started with the title first and the concept. And I wrote the lyrics first. And this whole thing all unfolded over a period of months. And uh, I finally um, was able to uh, sit down at a, a piano keyboard and start uh, pecking out melody and all that. And, uh, and we eventually put this song down as a demo on tape. Wow. When you're creating the song, though, you're out in the middle of, of the Pacific Ocean. Oh, so yeah. Well, what that... did you do to record what you're thinking? How did you, how did you... I just had it written, I, you know, I just had the lyrics and the idea and the concept written down on paper because I had no, I hadn't really sat down at the keyboard and I had a melody in my head. The melody was there and I, there was no way I could get it out of my head. So because... did you do this when you got to Japan or did you wait till you came all the way back to the States? Uh, 
it seems to me I did most of it after I got back to the States. Oh, my God. You didn't know that the second record was going to have the impact that it did. I had no idea. I had no idea. And you didn't know. So the second record was Rhythm of the Rain. Did you expect it was going to have any type of impact that it had? No. No. I, I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> I just was, you know, I, I knew that we had done all the right things, and I knew I was with the right people, and everything that, was, that should be was in place. I had a great arranger. We recorded the song with the Wrecking Crew. He's so beautifully honest, isn't he? So self-deprecating. John Gummo, you wrote one of the greatest songs ever written. It's just beautiful to hear a man so humble speak. So when you walked into the studio, tell me what it was like for a young man coming in to record, and now you know you're going into one of the best recording studios in the country, if not the world, and just little old me is going to get to record with my group the song that I created. How are you feeling? I was excited, I, and I think I was, uh, <clears throat> there was something about the vibe there with these, these people I, were, I was with. I mean, I was with a producer who'd already had hit records. I was, you know, I had a group that had a very current sound for the, for the era. Uh, I was like very excited. Yeah, who's on guitar? Two of the greatest guitar players of all time. Carol Kay on the bass and Glenn Campbell. Yeah, that Glenn Campbell. And Hal Blaine on the drums. Probably the greatest drummer ever. That's who's at Gold Star with this little song he dreams up on the deck of a battleship. Oh, so, yeah. yeah a lot the of Rhythm of the Rain hit the charts in January of 63 at number 80 with a bullet and just kept, you know... Uh, jumping like 20 point increments all the way up to the top five so it was that that probably was more exciting how was it put together how was it assembled because we know it begins with that clap of thunder in the rain well that was barry devorzon's idea he was the producer of the record and uh barry was the one who came up with that footage or the uh the sound bite for for the thunder just the name of the song alone the rhythm of the rain you're saying that R word twice. It's just like riders of the storm. You're saying the R word twice. It catches your ear just in the title alone. But that's not enough. These are two songs that incorporate the actual sound of the rain. And that also really hooks your ear. Coming up next... I'm going to play a song and analyze a song that has the same features of the moving water as a personality, but they're not using the rain. And we'll get into some clap revision. I definitely want to talk about young people like Andy Murray. Why would his hip fall apart enough that he needed an implant in his hip, but he's playing in the U.S. Open? We'll get into it. The number's 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 710. With Dr. Robert Clapper, board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai Health Associates. Like a memory, it falls 
tapping on my roof and walls. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. This is Paul Simon taking you into a room and writing down, you talk about clapper vision, the metaphor of the rain as a person. Well, he's not going to distract us with a thunderstorm or hear the rain actually falling, like in the Cascades song, like in the Doors. Not Paul Simon. He's such a songwriter, such a wordsmith, and he's a fearless artist. He doesn't need anything extra. He just needs his voice and his acoustic guitar. But it's the words that he writes. And if today's topic is all about how a river and ocean and rain becomes like a personality, a person that can talk to you, or as in the case of the Cascades, please tell her, rain, rain, please tell her that the rain can speak. Paul Simon, better than anybody else, gives these human attributes to rain. Tapping on the walls, like tapping you on the shoulder, giving you a memory, just like a human being has a memory. Remember, Frank, when we did this? And having eyes and vision to see. So think about the qualities of a human being, seeing, tapping, thinking, memories. And now listen to rain having all of those features. That's what Paul Simon's doing in his song about the rhythm of rain. I hear the drizzle of he hears the it. rain Like a memory it falls Like a memory it falls Soft and warm continuing Soft and warm like being hugged Tapping on my roof and walls Tapping on my shoulder, tapping on the roof And from the shelter of my mind Wow, shelter of my mind. Through the window of my eyes. Window of my I eyes. Gaze beyond the rain-drenched streets. Wow. That's amazing what he's able to do. Using words to paint pictures. Clapper vision. Where do we see that ability to Clapper paint pictures vision. with words? Vin Scully, may he rest in peace, did it. Chick Hearn did it. That's where I learned it from. Because what I do for a living as an orthopedic surgeon, as we say in French, is muy complicado. It's pretty complicated. Dr. Clapper, I'm 38 years old. Or in the case of Andy Murray, I don't even know how old he is. I can't walk anymore. Isaiah Thomas, the basketball player. Tiago Splitter. These are people who've had hip implants. I'm not talking arthroscopy of the hip. I'm talking an implant and they're back playing professional sports. But the first question is, why does a hip wear out in such a young person, Dr. Clapper? So here's a Clapper vision. 
Clapper vision. Your hip joint that you're sitting on or walking on right now is a ball, better known as the femoral head, and it literally looks like my bald head, uh, a billiard ball, a sphere. And it has a socket. But because you're standing up, let's say the ball is a golf ball and the coffee cup is upside down with the ball. Or better yet, let's go to an ice cream parlor. The scoop of ice cream is the ball of the ball and socket joint of your hip. The crunchy, delicious cone is the shaft of your femur. Well, guess what? You know what it's like when they give you that delicious scoop of ice cream on top handles, my favorite in Redondo Beach. They give you that delicious scoop. Chocoholic is my favorite flavor, by the way. Ask for that. Tell them you're a weekend warrior. Oh, my mouth is watering already. Oh, it's, it's so good. Handles in Redondo Beach. Anyway, when they give you the scoop, they better put the scoop directly on top of the cone. Why? Because if they put it on at an angle, you take one lick with your tongue and it's we've all been there. The scoop is now on the floor. It fell off the, the end of the cone. So it needs to be mounted properly right dead center on the shaft of the cone to sit properly so you can lick it and it won't fall. Well, now what I want you to do is take, when you ask for your ice cream, they say, would you like a cup or a cone? You know what you're going to say? Both. I want both. Look at it. Why do you want both? Because I want to take the cup and put it upside down on top of the scoop of ice cream. So you're holding the cone with one hand. There's the ice cream on top. And now with your left hand, you're holding the cup upside down on top of the ice cream scoop, the ball. Guess what? That's what your hip joint is. And when it is normal, you can now move the scoop in that socket, the cup, in all different directions, no big deal. But what if the scoop of ice cream was mounted on the cone at an angle that really made it difficult for you to sit the cup properly because it's off to an angle? That's called femoral acetabular dysplasia or impingement, F-A-I we call it, femoral acetabular impingement. Because now when you try to move the cone, because the ice cream isn't sitting properly dead center, the cone now bangs into the coffee, the, the cup that's upside down. It doesn't move smoothly. You keep banging the cone into the edge of the cup as you try to move it around. And over time, that destroys the edge of the cup. And it also destroys the crunchy cone because it's not sitting true. Well, young people born with a hip that's misshapen in this way will wear out that cartilage. They'll destroy the edge of the cup. They'll destroy the ice cream, the cone, all of the things that make up the joint very quickly, quicker than it should wear out when you're born with this very mild malformation, because it's not a big deal. It's not cancer. It's not something horrible. And you can play football and you can run around as a kid, 
but you start to turn 20 and 30 and you limp and you have pain in the middle of the night and having sex is painful, which is usually what leads people to come to my office and say, all right, I may be limping, but now this beautiful part of my life hurts. It's missing. And whether you're 20 or 30 or 60 or 70, that I believe is the big reason people say, okay, enough's enough. But the beautiful thing that we can do if the anatomy allows us, is what was done to Andy Murray and Isaiah Thomas and that I've done to many, many patients is not a hip replacement, but a surface replacement. What does that mean? It means I don't cut the ice cream from the cone, which in essence is what a hip replacement is. What I essentially do is put a nice new surface. It's as though I poured hot fudge on top of the ball of ice cream, the scoop of ice cream, and cover it completely. Like putting a yarmulke on top of the scoop of ice cream. You know what a yarmulke is? That's uh, Not only do Jewish people wear yarmulke, but the Pope wears a yarmulke. So we got a lot going on for us. But essentially, it's a baseball cap without the, the brim to cover the ball to cover my bald head that's what a surface replacement looks like so you're not cutting anything you're just putting a new surface on and because you do that it's not going to loosen or fail like a typical hip implant would so now you understand how excited i am to be able to watch andy murray with a bionic metal implant in his hip play at the level of the U.S. Open in tennis. And yes, he's a professional athlete, but I kid you not, his anatomy is just like the weekend warrior. No different. And that's the beauty of this show. All week long, 710 ESPN, we talk about the Rams, the Lakers, the Dodgers. I mean, Mookie Betts is unbelievable. Talking about Clayton Kershaw's injuries, they're not godlike. They're professional athletes. They're warriors. And Steph Curry really is a warrior. But those injuries, because of the beauty of the anatomy that we share, is exactly what the weekend warrior has. Coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories. I cannot wait to talk to my guest at 8.15, Dr. Eric Ziegen. Topic, the rhythm of the rain. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.